Thank you for tuning in to RTM Nation Online, where we believe that you will receive the abundance of peace, prosperity, security, stability, health, healing, and truth. If you would like to learn more about the ministry, click the link below. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Now let's get into the message. We started a, a series of, of teaching a few weeks ago titled Friends, and we know we're talking about relationships, and we're talking about, you know, we've talked about uh, valuing relationships, really valuing the relationships that God has given us, valuing the people that God has placed in our lives, because there's no way that you're going to make it to your expected end without relationships. You're not going to make it by yourself. There are people that God has placed in your life, and they have on the inside of them what you need, and you have on the inside of you what they need. Amen. So we have to learn how to value relationships. And then beyond that, there's some values, there's some things that you need to have in your life as a part of your character that, you know what, you, you might not have right now, but you need to go shopping for it. You need to go get it. You need to go put yourself in a position where you identify the Holy Spirit leads you to people who have those values, and I'm bringing them into my boat, right? Because who's in my boat is important. Who's in my boat is important. So we've been talking about valuing relationships. We've been talking about things that we have to do in order to show that we value relationships, right? And now here we are. This is the, the, the last message in this, this series, um, which, you know, we continued from last week. The message title is That's What Friends Are For. That's What Friends Are For. Last week, we looked at the, um, the account of Hannah and Panina. And we found out that, you know what, I got to value relationships, every relationship, even those ones that aren't that comfortable. You know, I got to value the relationships, even with the people who get on my nerves, even the people who are aggravating. You know, I got to value even those relationships. Because, because truth be told, it's in that relationship that we're given an opportunity. It's in those relationships we're given an opportunity to exercise. We're given an opportunity to develop and I know, you know, I don't, this is not just true for me, but I know for you too. You look back over your life, hindsight is 2020. There's some situations with some people. While you were in it, you thought it would be the end of you. But now you look back and you can be grateful because if it wasn't for that situation, I wouldn't even be who I am today. If I wouldn't have learned how to, how to deal, if I wouldn't have learned how to pray, if I wouldn't learn how to open my Bible, that situation made me strong. I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for that. So I'm finding out that I, if I change my perspective, just like Hannah had to, you change your perspective, you see opposition as opportunity. You change your perspective, a foe can, can become family. If we could talk to Hannah today and ask her, Hannah, what do you think about Panina? Today, Hannah would say, I thank God for Panina. Because if it weren't for a Panina, I would have never had a Samuel. I would have never given birth. I would have never got what I expected if she wouldn't have provoked me to pray. Right. So here we are going to continue that conversation. But we're looking at a different account. And, uh, you know, one of the things that that Holy Spirit has made real clear to us is that not only are we empowered, but we're empowered to empower. I'm not just looking for somebody to rescue and deliver me, but God can use me to rescue and deliver some other people. So when we look at this, this, this message title, that's what friends are for. Today's message is really going to have us reflect on ourselves not what somebody else can do for us, but what can we do for someone else? You ready for that? Yes. The purpose of this message is to remind us all that the value that you bring to other relationships, 
the value that you bring to the relationships you're in is not because you're cute. I know you're cute, but it ain't because you're cute. The value that you bring to other relationships that you're in is not because you're smart. The value that you bring to other relationships, the value that you bring to the relationships you're in is not because you're generous. The value you bring to the relationships that you're in right now is your faith. The value that you bring to the relationships you're in now is your faith. The value that you bring to the relationships that you're in now is the excitement that you have from your experience with Jesus. That's what people need. See, cuteness, being cute, being generous, all of those things, that's replaceable. You cute today. Well, what happens when you got an outfit on that they don't like? <laughs> the value that you bring to a relationship is not because you're strong. You're strong today, but strength wanes. The value that you bring to a relationship is not because you're generous and you're the one that, you know, always willing to, you know, hand out the cash to meet somebody else's needs. What happens when you're short? Those things are subject to change. But the one thing that can never be taken from you is the experience that you've had with Jesus. There's value in your faith. That's what you bring to relationships. When you're able to be in a relationship and everybody else is doubting and, 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 and the situation is daunting and they're distressed and stressed out, but you're in that situation and you're full of faith and full of hope, that increases your value. People want somebody around them who can see beyond the trouble. People want someone around them who can give hope to a, a situation that seems hopeless. That's where your value is. When somebody else is down and you can lift them up, that's where your value is. Okay? So your value, the value that you bring to relationships is your faith. The faith that you've built as you've walked with Jesus. The faith that you've built along the way. Along the way as you've walked, your faith walk, you've collected some experience. And those experiences what people need today. That experience is what people need today. When you were, you know, when you were at your lowest, you had an experience with a God who didn't hold it against you. That's what people need today. When you were clueless, didn't know what to do, didn't know which way was what. Right. And in that situation, Jesus came in and straightened it all out and gave you some clarity and gave you some purpose, gave you some direction. That's what people need today. That's your value. That's your value. So I want to share this story. There's some guys in the Bible who just, oh, my gosh, they just blow my mind when I look at what they did and what they contributed for their friend. When I read this account of how these guys went the extra mile, they were they they did not take no for an answer. They were willing to do what was that, whatever was necessary so that their friend could have the same experience as them. It blows my mind. So I'm going to share that with you. You ready for it? All right. Let's look at um, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. While you're going there, you've got to know your value. Know your value. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. Don't, don't, don't settle for people putting you, um, you know, making your value those things that are subject to change. No, your value is your faith. I have faith to this situation. I had insight to this situation. When you can't see what to do, I got somebody on the inside of me who knows what to do. That's the value that I add to this situation. Amen? Amen. In in Mark chapter 2, 
Let's see. Before we, let me give you some background. Let's talk about Mark chapter 1. Let's talk about Mark. I know y'all hear, you know, you hear the name Mark. He's one of the gospel writers. But, you know, a lot of people really don't know that Mark was not one of the 12 uh, disciples. Mark was not an apostle. He was not of the 12, right? Mark, Mark did ministry with Paul later on. But Mark also was Peter's interpreter. As Peter got into what his assignment was, you know, remember, Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't that educated. Peter didn't even know how to read. That's why he had Mark. Mark knew the language, right? So Peter would use Mark to to convey messages to the people that he ministered to, okay? Mark wrote the gospel that has his name, but Peter dictated it to him, right? And, And there's something interesting about Mark, as you as he if you read through the book of Mark, Mark sounds like he's always in a hurry, always in a hurry. I mean, all throughout his book, he uses words like and immediately, you know, he talks in in Mark chapter one. um, He doesn't even start like the other gospels do. Other gospels start with the genealogy. They telling all Jesus family and they go all through the history and they telling Jesus family tree. Mark don't even Mark like, no, let's just get to the point. (laughs) Let's just get to the point. Skip all of that. Let's just get to the point. Right. And then even, you know, he he talks about, you know, John was out there and he was preaching the gospel. And, you know, John the Baptist, John was Baptist. John the Baptist was baptizing people and preaching a message of repentance. And and uh, and then, you know, we know that he does talk about Jesus coming to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And he goes through that account and he talks about how when Jesus was baptized in the water, the Holy Spirit came upon him, descended upon him. And then he says, and immediately. Jesus was moved or pushed by the spirit within into the wilderness. Right. He uses all of these fast paced words because Mark is like, no, I just got to get to the point. The purpose of me writing this story is to let you know that you need a savior and he's well able and he's here. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is here. Jesus is a healer. Jesus is your salvation. That's the whole point. Right. Mark has the shortest gospel. Because he just wants to get to the point. I just want to show you that Jesus is the Savior. I want to show you that Jesus is the Messiah and you need him. (laughs) Right. And I love Mark's urgency. And as I read Mark, I'm like, man, we need that type of fire. Well, I skip all the other stuff. I just need to get to the point. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is well able to deal with whatever it is that you're dealing with. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Messiah. Right. So in, in, in Mark chapter one, Mark goes through this this you know, he, he's going through the account. He talks about Jesus being baptized. Immediately he goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. Right. And then he says right after that, Jesus comes out of the wilderness and he begins to collect his disciples. Peter and his brother follow him. Right. Um, it talks about an account where the, um, you know, Jesus goes into the synagogue right away. Right. After he's baptized, He's empowered. The Holy Spirit is upon him. He goes into the synagogue, which is the church. He goes into the church and he's teaching. And he's and the scripture says that the people were amazed at his teaching. They had never heard anyone teach with this type of authority. They had never heard anyone go in the word and actually talk like they they know it. And it's easy for Jesus to do that because he's the one who offered it in the first place. Right. So Jesus is amazing people. People are astonished by his wisdom. People are astonished. They're trying to figure out 
ain't this, 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 who is this? This is the same uh, kid who grew up in Bethlehem. This is the, the carpenter's son, right? They're trying to make the, connect the dots because they're, they're really taken aback by his authority. And then it says that in that synagogue, right there in the church, there was a man who was demon-possessed. Jesus cast out the devil, cast the devil out of the man. Everybody's astonished. And they say that this man, not only does he teach with authority, but he also has power over evil spirits. Okay, so his fame starts to spread. I mean, he gets people talking. Right. I mean, people start talking. Uh, You know, there was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. Nobody was Snapchatting or nothing like that. But they had word of mouth and word spread that there's a man in Galilee who not only does he teach right, not only does he teach well, but he also has the ability to cast out devils. Word spreads, and word spreads quickly, okay? Now, they're in a region called Galilee. A region. Galilee is not a city. Galilee is not a state. It's a region, just like we're in the region of Tampa Bay. Okay, so when you hear, when you hear the, the Bible reference them being in Galilee, Think a region. They're in this place. It's probably very similar to Tampa Bay, just like we have the Gulf, right? They had their body of water. We call it the Sea of Galilee, which was actually not a sea. It's a lake, right? So all these cities are built around Galilee. Can you imagine that? So word of Jesus begins to spread throughout Galilee. Shortly after he cast the devil out of the man, He comes out, he starts to teach, he does some ministry, and the scripture says that a man, a leper, came to him. And what does Jesus do? Of course, he heals the leper, right? So he's healing people, he's teaching, I mean, people are talking about him, the crowd is growing. He goes into Peter's house. Peter lived in this place called Capernaum. He goes to Peter's house. He gets to Peter's house after he's delivered this man from, from a devil. He's in Peter's house, and Peter is like, well, shoot, is he preaching good? He's casting out devils? Peter's mama was sick, right? It says that she had a fever, okay? So Peter was like, Peter and Andrew, they're brothers. Peter and Andrew were like, maybe he can do something about mama. So they bring Jesus to mama, of course. Jesus heals mama, right? All the neighbors find out about that, you know? Jesus is in his house healing folk. So what happens? The crowd comes, and they bring all the sick to him. And he spends... The rest of the day, healing people, ministering to people, delivering people, casting out devils, all right, doing signs, doing wonders, doing miracles, and the word is spreading. The word is spreading all throughout Tampa Bay, all throughout Galilee. The word is spreading. The day ends. Jesus gets some rest. He wakes up early the next morning, and he goes out to pray. You know, people still coming, people still coming because people want what he has. People want to be healed. People want to be delivered. So people are still coming. They find Peter, 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 where Jesus at? Jesus says, I don't know where he is, man. He was here, but now he's gone. They look for Jesus They find him out praying. And Peter tells Jesus, hey, all these people are looking for for you. So he spent. So he says he says to Peter, I know they're looking for me, but let's let's go to the neighboring cities. I need to go to the neighboring cities. I need to continue to preach this word. Right. So he spends the rest of the day traveling around Galilee, traveling around the region, teaching the word of God and delivering people and healing people. 
Okay, you can imagine that. So he went to, he went to, he, you know, if he, he's in Tampa Bay, right? It's like going from St. Pete to Gulfport, and he's doing ministry in Gulfport, and he leaves Gulfport and goes to St. Pete Beach, and he leaves St. Pete Beach, and he goes to Clearwater, and he goes to Largo, and he probably took a trip over to Sarasota. I mean, and they're walking, right? This is a long day of ministry, and he's pouring out to people, delivering people, healing people, okay? And then we come to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1, I'm going to read from the Amplified. It says this. It says, And Jesus, having returned to Capernaum, that's the headquarters. That's where Peter's house is. You got it? I mean, imagine it. He's just been out ministering to all these people, meeting all these needs. He needs some rest. Remember, Jesus was a man. He needs a break. His team, his ministry team, they need a break. So they go back to Capernaum, go back to Peter's house, and we're just going to take a break. We're going to rest. Look what it says. It says, Jesus, having returned to Capernaum after some days. So they were in the house for some days, getting some rest. And then it says, after some days, it was rumored about that he was in the house, probably Peter's house. So word spread. Man, I think, hey, you know the neighbors. You know how neighbors do. Anybody got nosy neighbors? <laughs> neighbors looking. Neighbors is like, man, I think something's going on in that house right there. You seen Peter? I ain't seen Peter. I ain't seen Andrew. Something's up in that house, right? So word starts to spread. People peeking through the window. Somebody saw Jesus. Oh, Jesus is here in Capernaum. So what do they do? They go and get the sick. They go get the sick. Word spreads. Hey, he's in Capernaum. Everybody from the region. Everybody from the region. Everybody who's sick. Everybody who's healed, everybody that was at a, the Jesus, I was at the Jesus meeting yesterday. Boy, ain't nothing like a Jesus meeting. They telling folks, ain't nothing like a Jesus meeting. I went to a Jesus meeting and my leg was hurting me. I saw Jesus and now look, and they walking straight up and they showing that they healed and word is spreading. He's like, you know somebody sick? Let's take him to a Jesus meeting. Everybody's trying to go to a Jesus meeting, yeah. Right. So they find out Jesus is at Peter's house. And verse 2 says, and so many people gathered together there that there was no longer room for them. They packed Peter's house out, not even around the door. And he was discussing the word. Jesus is discussing the word. Then, I like how it just sets this up right here. Verse 3 says, then they came, bringing a paralytic to him who had been picked up and was being carried by four men. Now, I'm imagining what this looks like. Those four men, they got their friend on that stretcher, and they're carrying him to a Jesus meeting. These men remind me of some paramedics, some EMTs, some first responders. Anybody ever had to come across some first responders? Anybody ever in a situation where you had to come across some first responders? Now, these are... these. These are some special people. These are some, I mean, talk about some unsung heroes, EMTs, first responders. These are some special people. I remember once I was riding on uh, uh, 275, riding down 275. Accident just happened. There are no police officers. Nobody's there. Accident just happened. I mean, this is a fresh one. It just happened, right? A group of first responders who were on vacation, they all riding together. They about to go. They got some time off. They about to go in and enjoy themselves. But they ride by. They see the accident. What do they do? 
because they're heroes, right? That's what they do. They're just that type of person. They stop, they get out, they go, and they, they you know, help meet the needs of these people. This is just how these people are. Think about it. I mean, these first responders and EMTs and paramedics drive all over the city, back and forth, just to get other people to the help that they need. Mm-hmm. They've committed their lives, committed their youth to get other people the help they need, even at the risk of putting themselves in danger. You ever seen a, 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 a pair ambulance driving through traffic? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But their goal is to get the people to the help they need. I think we need some EMT church members that's, that's willing to. I just want to get people the help that they need. I'm willing to go back and forth, cross town, get people the help they need. And notice now, notice I've seen a few situations where EMTs are first responders. You know, the technicians come up on somebody who, you know, who's, who's, who's hurt and Maybe it was an accident, maybe whatever. I've watched the TV shows, too, some trauma shows, you know. Somebody had gunshot. Man lying down, just got a gunshot. The EMT comes up to him, first responder comes up to him, starts asking questions, right? What happened? Where does it hurt? How do you feel? You know, ask them all these questions. But I noticed that their questions are never to qualify or disqualify the person who needs help. They're not asking qualifying or disqualifying questions. They're asking questions to see what type of help you need. That's, that's the only thing I'm here for. I just want to get you to the help that you need, right? They're not asking questions to judge. They're not asking if this person deserves help. I mean, I've seen them help victims, and I've seen them help perpetrators. I've seen them help smart people who was just in a situation, and I've seen them help some dumb people who did something real stupid, and now they're paying the penalty of their stupidity but the EMT, the first responders are still there to minister the help that they need because their only goal is to get the people to the help that they need. Yeah. Yes, Amen. Yeah. We need an EMT mindset. Well, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get people the help they need. That's my only goal. I'm not, I ain't trying to be in your business to be in your business. I just want to know what type of help you need. That's the reason that I'm here. So these four guys carrying this man on this, this, this cot reminds me of some EMTs. And I, and I wonder what caused their urgency, right? I imagine that at least one out of these four guys, at least one of them had to be at a Jesus meeting. At least one of them had to be at a Jesus meeting. Because when I read about what they went through in order to get their friends some help, their ordinary people don't do that. I mean, there's, this comes from an experience. This comes from an experience. I mean, think about it. I mean, four men carrying another grown man to church service. I mean, really let your imagination go there. I mean, they couldn't just, I'm sure they had to go to wherever this brother lived. This brother is a paralytic. I mean, he can't help himself. So somebody had to go in that house, get him dressed, get him cleaned up, right? They lifted him up, put him on this cot, And they're carrying him. Who knows how far they had to go? Jesus been ministering in all of Galilee. At least one of them went to a Jesus meeting. Who knows how far they had to walk? Who knows how far they had to travel? They were in Capernaum. Jesus had meetings in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was about 85 miles from Capernaum. Ain't no Uber. It's Tom and Jerry. (laughs) 
but they're willing to, they're willing to walk. They're willing to walk because they, they're going to see somebody who can meet my need, right? Jesus, you know, you know the story about Jesus at the wedding of Cana. Cana was about 16 miles from Capernaum. That's almost like from here to Tampa. They walking, but it's worth it. When I think about what these men had to go through in order to get their friend to this meeting, and I, and I look at their urgency, and I look at their tenacity, and I look at their perseverance, it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder. And I know that all of this has to be motivated by an experience. I know people just don't do this. Somebody in that group had to have an experience. Yeah. I imagine at least one of them was sick at a Jesus meeting, met Jesus and got healed, and was like, oh, this is it. Let me go get my friends. Yes, at least one of them had to have an experience. Because yes, ain't nobody just doing this. You understand what I'm saying? But then I know that we've had experiences. I know there's some experiences right here in this room. I know there's some people right here in this room who had an experience with this healing power. I know there's some people right in this room who had experience with this deliverance. I, you know, I think about myself. I know I've had some experiences with Jesus. But when I look at these men, these four men, what they're willing to do, when I look at their fire and their persistence and their tenacity in just getting their friend to a Jesus meeting, and I know it's motivated by an experience, and I know that we got a bunch of people who also had an experience, but I wonder where is that same fire? Where is the same passion? Where is the tenacity? Where is the persistence? I mean, it's one thing to ask a person, hey, that problem that you're going through, Jesus can help you. You want to come to church with me? I mean, that's just, you know, that's, that's good. That's a good start. But when they give a rebuttal, no, not this time. Then what do we do? What's next? I'm sure that that man on that cot didn't just go easy. Man, y'all coming in my house, man, he was probably sitting on his couch watching Jerry Springer like he did every other day, flipping through the TV channels, you know? He a paralytic, he just lounging in the house, right? Four guys bust up in his house, he probably wondering, what, 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 what is wrong with you? What is your problem? Man, you got to get dressed, man. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. And what does that have to do with me? Man, he can help you, man. He helped me. Man, he can heal you, man. He healed me. Man, I seen him deliver some people. I seen him cast out demons. The fire from their experience is motivating them. Whatever rebuttal he gave did not put out their fire. They had already determined, no, this is happening. This is happening. They're probably thinking, I'm tired of you asking me for money. I'm tired of you asking me for help. I'm tired of coming over here and washing your grown self. No, you about to get this healing. <laughs> you about to get this healing. You wash yourself. Your family done left you. You're not contributing to society. No, you about to go to this meeting and get this help, boy. <laughs> right? So they got him on that cot. And they carried him. They carried him. Through the gravel. Through the bumpy ground. They're carrying him to the Jesus meeting. They're like, man, you're about to get this help. Look what it says. There are so many people gathered together 
there that there was no longer room for them, not even around the door. And he was discussing the word. Jesus is in there preaching. Then they came, bringing a paralytic to him who had been picked up and was being carried by four men. See, one of the points that I want to make right here is that your witness, your witness is evidence of your experience. 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 Now think about that. It's your witness. Your witness is evidence of your experience. The intensity of your witness should match the intensity of your experience. We can break that down and put it in very plain terms, right? How many people been to a good restaurant? How many people did you tell about that good experience that you had? Matter of fact, raise your hand. My favorite restaurant is The Hangar. I went there one time. I had a real good experience. The Hangar Flight Lounge. Raise your hand if you've been to The Hangar with me. About everybody in here. (laughs) My witness is a reflection of my experience. I went there and I enjoyed myself. So I brought people with me. I brought about 50 people. (laughs) My witness reflects my experience. But this is what's supposed to happen. This is what's happening with these men. Their witness, their tenacity, their willingness to bring this man to a Jesus meeting is a reflection of their own experience. Listen, if they would have went and saw Jesus and nothing happened, they wouldn't have been on fire to do what they did. If they would have went to this meeting and came out the same way that they came, they wouldn't have been they wouldn't have had this urgency to get their friend to this meeting. They experienced something. They experienced something. And what they experienced, they wanted to share what they experienced, the deliverance that they experienced. They had to get it to everybody who needed it. Yeah. Right. Look at what it says in verse three. Then they came bringing a paralytic to him who had been picked up and was being carried by four men. Verse four says, and when they could not get him to a place in front of Jesus because of the crowd, because of the throng, they dug through the roof above him. And when they had scooped out an opening, they let down the thickly padded quilt or mat upon which the paralyzed man lay. Imagine that. What caused this type of fire? What caused this type of persistence? They carrying a grown man, right? I imagine as they carried him, he's probably looking up at his friends like, what is going on? But I bet he started to get excited. Mm -hmm. Your excitement rub off on other people. Mm -hmm. There's some people who will be excited just because you're excited. They haven't experienced what you experienced. They haven't seen what you've seen. But your excitement makes them excited. I bet as he lying in that cot, he got excited. I mean, imagine him lying there on that cot. His friends are carrying him. Now, it's hard work. They're carrying a grown man. It's probably hot. The gravel, dusty road, dust is kicking up as they carry it. I'm sure they stumbled a couple times. But he's looking up at their faces. He's looking at their faces, and you know how it is. You know, you're doing hard work, but at the same time, you're with your crew, you're with your boys, and it's fun. It's hard work, but it's fun. So I'm sure they're sweating, but they're laughing at the same time. They're sweating, and they're talking about what happened. I'm sure one of them told their story. That's all it takes is a story. That's all it takes to get somebody excited is just tell your story. 
That's all it takes. You get somebody excited by telling them what excited you in the first place. Tell them where you started and where you are right now and let them know that Jesus did this. That's all it takes. We got to do a better job of sharing our story. You got to do a better job of sharing your experience. Matter of fact, you know, in in sales, they call it a um, elevator pitch. Elevator pitch. Y'all heard of that before? 30 seconds. In 30 seconds, tell me why I should be as excited as you are. 30 seconds. I think every Christian, every disciple of Jesus should have an elevator pitch where you can tell somebody in 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds why you should love Jesus like I do. 30 seconds of why you should trust Jesus the way that I do. 30 seconds, 30 seconds. Matter of fact, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to share with somebody, not your husband, not your wife. Choose somebody. I'm going to give you 30 seconds, 30 seconds. Share your Jesus experience. 30 seconds. Here, listen, I'll even, I'll even, I'll go first. I'll go first. 30 seconds. Somebody can time me. 30 seconds. You ready? 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 You got me, Carmika? You got me? 30 seconds. You ready? Tell me when to go. 30 seconds. Share my experience. You ready? So there I was, a lost 16 years old, a lost teenager, typical teenager, lost, confused about life, didn't know what to do. I was outside my house having a conversation with myself, asking myself what I was going to do with my life, <laughs> trying to figure it out, right? Got in so much mess, there ain't no escaping this. And in the middle of me having a conversation with myself, Jesus came. And in one word, he changed my life. In one word, preach. Changed my destiny. That's why I love him. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. So get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. Find somebody. 30 seconds. Share your Jesus experience. Most of the time we use it in the wrong way. Now you can look the word up again and again. But the dictionary doesn't know the meaning of friends. And if you ask me, you know I couldn't be much help. Because a friend's somebody you judge for yourself. Some are okay and they treat you real cool. And some mistake your kindness for being a fool. We like to be with some because they're funny. Others come around when they need some money. Some you grew up with around the way. And you're still real close to this very day. Homeboys through the summer, winter, spring, and fall. And then there's something which we never knew at all. And this list goes on again and again. But these are the people that we call friends. Second person should be going. All right, go ahead and give God some praise. Amen. Have a seat. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Because the thing is, man, all the time, people don't have 30 minutes. (laughs) People don't have 30 minutes to hear your whole testimony. Sometimes 30 seconds is all you got. And then what if you don't have 30 seconds? Can they see your experience in your, in your, in your, can they see grace in your face? Can they see it in the way that you carry and conduct yourself? Right? Is your life a message? 
Can you really be a, a living epistle? The scripture says a living epistle read of, read of all men. Do you carry, do you conduct yourself in a way that, that reflects the grace that has impacted your life? And one of the things I believe that we have to do to, keep this, to get this fire burning is how often, how much time do you reflect back on the things that Jesus did for you? How distant are you from that experience? Have you buried it? Have you buried that experience under all the mess of life? Have you pushed your Jesus moments to the back of the shelf? How often and how much time do you think about what he means to you, what he's done for you? How do you keep that flame going? Because that's the value. It's the value that you bring to relationships, the excitement that you have from your own experiences with Jesus. I look at these men and I wonder and I, you know, I use my imagination and and I, I wonder what moved them. I mean, here they are. They're carrying their friend on that on that mat. They get to the house. Finally, they get to the house. Finally, and they see the crowd. Imagine that. We didn't carry this joke all this way. Mm-hmm. And we get here and look at this crowd. And my first thought is, well, you know, people, people have common courtesy. They see the man on the cot and they'll move out of the way. No. When you sick too, you ain't moving. Well, you better stand in line. Right? I mean, imagine who's at this house. Imagine the crowd that's at this house. Yeah, there's sick people. And there's healed people. There's people who've been to a Jesus meeting. And there's people who, this is my first time at a Jesus meeting. It's packed out. It takes me back at least one of those guys. At least one of them had a Jesus moment. Had to. Because think about it. Here they are. They carried this grown man, whoever, how, I don't know what the distance was. They get him to the house. The house was packed out. There's no way to get past the crowd. At least one of them in the group says, don't worry about it. I got an idea. Come on now. Come on. I mean, what motivated this man to do whatever was necessary? And I can't help but to parallel his witness to my own. I can't help but to do it. I can't help but to look at what he did and look what he suffered and look what he went through and then wonder, man, where is your tenacity? How far are you willing to go for somebody else? How far are you willing to carry carry somebody else? Because at some point, it's not just about you coming, but it's about who you're carrying. At some point in this walk, I mean, you coming is great, but who you carrying with you? This man has such an experience with Jesus that he was willing to carry somebody with him. And when it seemed like it was the end of it, seemed like they done said no to me. Every time I call them, they say, no, I ain't even going to call no more. But he pushed past all of that. And my man says, if we can't get through the door, let's take him to the roof. Grown man, we're going to carry him to the roof. And he was so determined to get it done that he motivated the other three guys. And it was like, hey, we didn't come this far. Might as well go the distance. How many people are you willing to go the distance for? 
How many people are you willing to go the distance for? How many people you've been trying to minister to them? Maybe it's years you've been ministered to them and, 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 you know, you've probably been daunted by their own denial. But are you willing to go back and go the distance? You know, I had to ask myself this, man, you know, you're, you're a pastor of a church. Are you willing to go the distance? Are you willing to really go the distance, go the extra mile, do what's necessary for somebody to really know Jesus? But that's what disciples do. That's what disciples should do. Disciples should be willing to go the distance. Whatever it takes to get you in his presence, I'm willing to do it. If I got to climb up on the roof, I'm willing to do it. And you got to understand the geography at this time. You got to understand how these houses were built. This, the houses were built into the hills, into the hills, right? So this house was built into a hill. So they took this grown man they're carrying on a cot and climbed the hill in order to get him to the roof. And back then, you know, in some regions, they still have it. It's like this, even to this day, they had flat roofs. The roof is flat. It was made that you can go out and walk on it, right? Most of the time they used the roof to store, store things. It was a storage place, right? So they carry that man up to the roof. They get him up there. I can only imagine what he's thinking. He's like, boy, this must be it right here. I'm sure by this time he's starting to imagine what's going to happen when he gets in front of Jesus. I bet by this time he starts to imagine what it's going to look like him being healed and able to walk again. He's excited, right? He's willing to do whatever y'all need to do. So they get him up on the roof. They get him up on the roof. They get him up on the roof. And it doesn't stop there. They get on the roof and they dig. They get on the roof and dig. Are you willing to dig for somebody? You know, so we we put so many limits on how far we're willing to go for somebody else to have a Jesus moment. You know, they weren't worried about getting dirt in their nails. They weren't worried about the dirt. And I know for some people, the dirt is where you stop. You know, I'm willing to minister to you. I'll witness you, but I ain't willing to deal with your dirt. But they was willing to deal with this man's dirt. They were willing to dig. So they, they are with this man on the cot, on the roof, and they're digging through. You got to understand the architecture of those homes back then. You know, the roof was, was made out of what they call thatch and mud. You know, underneath for isolation, it was thatch, which is like tree branches. Right. But on top, it was baked mud, baked clay. So this ain't no easy dig. This ain't an easy dig, but they're determined. So they dig. They dig a hole in the roof, scoop out the roof and drop the man down in front of Jesus. And look what happens next. Verse five. And when Jesus saw their faith. Hold on. When Jesus saw their faith. When Jesus saw their faith. We ain't even talking about the man who's on the cot. But when Jesus saw their faith. This is why. You got to understand that your faith is the value that you add to relationships. Amen. It ain't about what you look like. It ain't about what you contribute. It's not about your education. It's your faith that makes the difference. When Jesus saw their faith, who's dependent upon your faith? Who can depend on your faith? 
Who's whose victory, whose breakthrough, whose deliverance, whose healing is leaning on your faith. These four guys knew that all I got to do is get them to Jesus and Jesus will do the rest. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven you. Put away. The penalty is remitted. The sense of guilt removed and you are made upright and in right standing with God. You know, it makes me think maybe those four friends knew what caused this man to be paralyzed. Maybe they knew him long enough to know what happened that caused him to be paralyzed, but it didn't matter. In this moment, it didn't matter. And it didn't matter to Jesus either. No one here was judging. We're not here to judge you. We're here to deliver you. We have to have that same mindset when it comes to witnessing other people. I don't care. I ain't really concerned about what you do or why you do it. I don't really want to know how you got in this situation. All I'm telling you is I know somebody who can help you. All I'm telling you is that I know a solution. And he won't judge you either. When Jesus saw their faith. And you know, there's always haters in the crowd. Some of the scribes were sitting there holding a dialogue with themselves and they questioned in their hearts, why does this man talk like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins? Who can remove guilt? Who can remit the penalty and bestow righteousness instead except God alone? And at once, Jesus becoming fully aware in his spirit that they thus debated within themselves said to them, why do you argue? Why do you debate? Why do you reason about all this in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven and put away, or to say, rise, take up your sleeping pad or mat and start walking about. But that you may know positively and beyond a doubt that the Son of Man has right and authority and power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, arise, Pick up and carry your sleeping pad and be going on home. And he rose and at once he picked up the sleeping pad and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and recognized and praised and thanked God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. I wonder what the atmosphere was like in that house. And it makes me think about us. And I wonder what our atmosphere would be like if we had a house full of sick people and people who had already been to a Jesus meeting. What level of expectation, what level of pull and demonstration could we reach when we have a house full of some people who need to meet them, and some people who already met them. What would it be like? What would the atmosphere be like? What would the energy be like? What would the expectation be like? What would we see that causes us to be amazed? Jesus healed this man because the atmosphere, the expectation was right. It was right, the energy. Can you imagine the energy in that room? In the house. 
Last points, last things for us to consider. Verse 5 says, when Jesus saw how much, they, how much faith they had, he said to the paralyzed young man, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw how much they, his friends, had. So I wonder how many people in our lives are depending upon our faith. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, is my faith working for somebody else? If their life depended upon my faith, would they make it out? I wonder what motivated the four men to carry a grown man to Jesus. What motivation did they have when they weren't deterred by the crowd? They weren't deterred by the by the. by not being able to access the door, they didn't quit. They carried the man up to the roof, dug a hole in the roof, and dropped the man down to the operating table. <laughs> Makes me wonder, what does it take? What does it take to see people delivered? I think for us today, maybe it takes us overcoming apathy. Overcoming apathy. Overcoming apathy, really considering how often, how much time do we spend praying for other people? Maybe overcoming anger. Overcoming anger and frustration. You know, it's good to have people in your life who will pray for you even when they're angry at you. And it's also good to be that person. Even though they get on my nerves, I'm going to (laughs) pray. Even though they get on my nerves, I'm still going to pray. And then we definitely have to overcome. We got to overcome the haters, overcome the antagonists. You know, there are people in that room who thought that that man didn't deserve to be healed. There are people in that room who thought that that man didn't deserve to be healed. He said there are people who concluded that he's like this because of his sin. But will we be the person who stands in the gap for someone else, even if we're the only person standing in the gap for that individual. Notice how the friends carrying the paralytic tried to press through the throng. It wasn't, they couldn't get through, right? The people didn't move. The people wouldn't move. They were the only ones invested in his healing. They were the only ones concerned enough to do whatever it took to see this man delivered. Can we put ourselves in that position for someone else? Where we say, if it depends on me, if you meeting Jesus is on me, well, I'm all in. I'm willing to to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Because I had an experience. Maybe it's been years ago, but I had an experience and I know that he's able I had an experience, and I know that he's able, I know that he's capable, I know that he's willing. And because of my experience, I'm willing to get you to him, no matter what it takes. Stand on your feet. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you. 
If you would like to help us further expand the vision, simply text the word GIVERTM to the number 41444 or visit us online at www.revealingtruth.org. Now remember, Jesus loves you.